September 29, 1999, just before 1 p.m., a little boy was born. This little boy coming into the world is what would officially make me a daddy. And as I stood there and watched him be born, I can't help but remember to thinking about, I wish this guy came with an instruction manual. Like, what am I supposed to do with him? How am I supposed to know how to handle him? I would even settle for an Ikea style manual at that point with just a couple stick figures and some arrows that pointed to key things. His mother and I did our very best as we were brand new parents and trying to to uh, take care of him and just make sure that he didn't die. <laughs> you know, honestly, as new parents often do, we were worried that we were going to do something wrong. We did our very best to make sure that he was OK. Now, his mother and I were not married. And I know to this point you thought Pastor Jay was a perfect angel. I'm not. I'm sorry to disappoint you in that way. But his mother and I were not married and our relationship did not work out. But if you fast forward a couple years, I meet this fine young girl at work and her and I start talking. And as we get to know one another, I find out that she had been married before. She got married at a young age and the guy that she was married to decided that this whole husband and father thing wasn't for him. So he left her with two babies uh, and just decided he wasn't coming back. And so I meet her a couple years or a few years after that happens in her life. And so here we are, two people. I have a kid. She has two kids. We meet one another. We fall in love. You fast forward a few years, we have two more kids, we're married, and now we are this blended family of seven. And you may be thinking, wow, Jay, that's a whole big story. Like, how do you handle all of that? But that's really what fatherhood is. It's jumping into these situations. And of those five children, none of them came with owner's manuals. And I know that may shock you. Maybe your kid did come with an owner's manual, but there was nothing telling me that if I said something to one kid, they would receive it one way and the other kid would receive it totally differently. Uh, there was nothing telling me that I could raise four of those kids in the same home under the same roof with the same parents and the same rules. And they would turn out to be four completely different individuals. I totally was not prepared for that. But that's what fatherhood is. We learn and grow with our children as they grow. We run into things that we weren't prepared to encounter. And God kind of guides us along the way if we trust in him. And I want to talk to you today about fatherhood. Now, if you're not a father, please don't tune me out. But it is Father's Day. So what better topic to talk about than what God expects of us as fathers? What is God looking for, uh, for from us as fathers and how we're supposed to train up our children? And believe it or not, Scripture actually does not give us a whole bunch of detail on what it means to be a father. It really doesn't. There's some examples in the Old Testament. If you read the book of Genesis, you'll see men like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And you can read through their stories of fatherhood and how their children behaved and some of the situations they ran into. If you fast forward a few books, you'll run into King David and you can see how he was as a father and some of his triumphs, but also some of his mistakes and how those mistakes plagued his family for generations. But scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. When you jump into the New Testament, there's really only two verses that deal with fatherhood specifically. And we're going to talk about those two verses today as we talk about fatherhood. Now, if you are a young lady, if you're married, if you're a mom and your husband's sitting there, please don't nudge him or eye roll him or, or anything like that that's going to make him feel uncomfortable because there may be some things today that he looks at and says, I should do that better. And if that's the case, encourage him. Let him know that you love him, that you support him and that he can do these things well and that you guys are going to do these things well together. Now, if you are a person who's like, Jay, I don't have any kids. I don't want any kids because they're dirty little aliens and they run around and they tear up everything. I hear you. But just hold on with me. There are some principles in here that you can use in your life, but that you can also use to help those around you who have children so that you can still guide people to life in Christ in this thing called parenting, whether you're a parent or not. 
even if they don't want to listen to your advice because they think you don't know what you're talking about. All right. But you can still take notes and follow along as we talk about this thing called fatherhood and what it means to be a godly and biblical father. Now, if you're ready, say I'm ready. You can type it in the chat and let's get ready to dive in. Y'all heard Pastor Brian. He's ready. So you better be ready, too. Now, I mentioned that scripture only really gives us two little verses that deal with fatherhood. One is Colossians 3.21, and it says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The other one is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, uh, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And if I re- as I read those verses, I began to think back about that phrase, do not provoke them. And it made me think back to last week. If you remember last week's message, we talked about hearing the voice of the good shepherd. And I taught you guys that the way the shepherd would lead in Jesus time when he's giving this illustration, the way the shepherd would lead was from the front. The shepherd would go out in front of the sheep and he would lead them by using his voice. Sometimes he would sing songs that only the sheep would really understand. And those shepherds had their own kind of language that they use with their sheep. But Jesus said a stranger's voice they wouldn't follow, but they would flee from him. But they would know their shepherd's voice. And as I thought about this idea of not provoking your children, it made me think about the image that I get of a shepherd. See, in our modern context, we grew up watching cowboys and Westerns and all of that stuff. So anything we think about, anytime we think about a person corralling animals, we get this mental picture of someone with whips and a prod and they're on a horse and they're trying to force the animals to go where they want them to go. But that's not how shepherds led in Jesus time. And so when I read, do not provoke your children to anger, I think that that's the father who would act like the modern day shepherd, like that cowboy who wants to be in the back and who wants to drive and who wants to use his whip and his prod and try to force his kids to go one way or another. But when it says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, I get the picture of the shepherd like in Jesus time. You're bringing them up. You're guiding them. You're out in front and you're the one who's leading them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, there's two words in that verse that I really want to highlight to you before we jump into the the meat of the message, if you will. And the first word is discipline. And when you see that word, don't think about discipline in terms of, of how we punish our children or how we bring them up that way. Although that discipline is very important and by all means, you should discipline your kids that are going to run wild and you're not going to have any control of your home. But when this word discipline is used here, what it's really talking about is this idea of almost like coaching. And it makes me think about like an Olympic athlete who has an event coming up four years from now. And so for the next four years, they're going to spend their time intently training, getting ready for that event so that they can do the best they possibly can at it. And that coach is there beside them along the way, guiding them and instructing them and how they can improve and do these things better and supporting them and cheering for them. And then when you see that word instruction, think teaching. Think teaching. Think about someone who has knowledge that they're passing on to someone else. And so our role as fathers, scripture is telling us, is to be coaches and teachers. We're there to guide them and to support them and to cheer for them and make sure they're following the right path, but also to pass down this knowledge that we have, this understanding. And that knowledge is of the Lord. So we're to teach them about Jesus. We're to teach them to know God, to love God, to respect God and to model these things out for them. So get that picture in your mind that God has called you to be a coach and a teacher, but he's also called you to be a protector and provider. And those things are equally as important, but we can't stop there. 
And oftentimes as men, that's where we want to stop because those things come natural to us. We like to provide. We go to work and we bring home the bacon, so to speak. And I know a lot of you ladies work as well. And and we have uh, two income households because of that. But as men, that comes easy for us to get up and go to work and bring home money. And we feel like we're doing our job as fathers by just doing that and protecting you know, that's why we sleep with a gun in the nightstand and a knife under the bed and a baseball bat beside the bed, because we want to make sure that if someone breaks in in the middle of the night, we're ready to protect the children that God's entrusted to us. And all of those things are important. We are to protect our families spiritually, physically, mentally and emotionally. We are to provide for our families. But we cannot miss this part about being a coach and a teacher as we bring up our children in the Lord. So today I have three things for you, three things that I want to give to you that you can use to teach you how to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want you to write these things down. Now, wives, this is where you can get involved. Make sure they're taking notes. And if your husband's not a note taker, write it down for him uh, so that you can put it on the mirror or wherever you need to around the house to make sure that he has this later on. If you guys are ready, say ready. All right. I heard you. You're ready. Let's get ready to dive in. And here's the first thing that you can do to make sure that you bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it's this. You can practice what you preach. You can practice what you preach. You know, a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of speaking at a a student conference in a breakout session. Uh, Pastor Brian was leading the conference and he said, hey, Pastor Jay, I have this session. It's a little bit of a dicey topic, but I think you're just the man for it. And it was on how should Christians, how should our Christian students interact with and live with and respond to people who are in the LGBTQ community. In hindsight, I don't think he thought I was the guy for it. I think everyone else said no. And he was like, hey, Pastor Jay, I got one for you because he loves me and he does that stuff to me. I'm just playing. I love that guy. We're good. But I was actually excited to take this on. And what I decided to do with those students that day was instead of walking in and, and having my Bible and going, we're going to turn to Leviticus and drop it on the table, you know, and preach at them for an hour and a half about all the things in script that scripture says about why that stuff in that community may be wrong. I decided to just ask them some questions. I wanted to pick their brain a little bit. I want to see, wanted to see what they thought and what they knew. And so one of the first things that I asked them was, uh, what do you think scripture says about this topic? What do you think scripture says about that community? And they all, uh, with, with, without anyone hesitating, all said that, well, scripture says that that lifestyle is wrong. I said, okay, I get that. So why is it that we seem to be okay with that lifestyle if scripture says it's wrong? And one young lady said to me uh, in response in front of the whole group, she said, I have a hard time with this because although my parents have taught me that scripture says that's wrong, I watch my parents violate so many other things from the Bible. I've seen my, my dad get drunk. I've seen him and my mom fight and cuss at one another and be angry. And she said, why is it okay for them to do that But on this one topic, we all have to stand up and shout how loudly that is wrong. And I thought to myself, wow, wow, parents, we have to be so careful because remember, more is caught than taught. And when your kids are they're watching you, they are watching each and everything that we do. So when you are coming home, having drank maybe a little more than you should have. And when you and mom are fighting and you use words that you shouldn't use and all that kind of stuff, they're paying attention to that. They are paying attention and they're going to use this because you say, hey, I'm a Christian and I live this lifestyle. They're going to use those examples to form what they believe about scripture in totality. So when the Bible says to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, you are teaching them something. But are you teaching them the right things? 
because they're learning from your actions. And we have to be so careful with this because you have a lot of little eyes in your home that are watching you each and every day. And I get it. I'm not perfect. There are things I've said to my kids or in front of my kids and things that I've done that they know are wrong. Like I mentioned earlier, my kids know that I had a kid out of wedlock. They know that and they know that that was wrong. And they also know that I've repented of that and I've asked for forgiveness for that and those kind of things. But we have to be so careful because your kids are watching. They are watching and they are learning from you even when you're not saying a word. You can practice what you preach. So if you are in a home and you are preaching to your kids from God's word, which we should all be doing, I'd encourage you to have Bible studies with your kids. Walk them through scripture. Teach them in your home uh, to know God and to love God. But as you're doing that, be mindful of the fact that they are watching, not just listening to what you say, but they are watching what you do. And again, I'd encourage you to to get into God's word with your kids. Make sure that they have a proper understanding of it. And if you're like, Pastor Jay, I don't really know how to do that. That's why we do our city kids stuff on our website. We provide parent guides with it. And Pastor Brian and I are here to answer questions for you. If you need help on how to guide your kids in your home. But every week we post new lessons for our kids at uh, sevencitieschurchva.com forward slash city kids that you can check out with your family and study right there in your home so that you can guide your kids to life in Christ as their father and as their mother is such an important thing. But remember, as you're teaching them that they're also watching your actions. So make sure that you're practicing what you preach. The second thing that you can do is this. And you guys see I'm going through this pretty quick and I'm going to say it's going to be a quick message. And the last time I said that it was 43 minutes and I had to apologize the following week. But I think this one's going to be quick because it's Father's Day and I've got something in the smoker that I'm trying to eat. Anyway, going to be a quick message. But the second thing that you can do is you can invest in learning them. You can invest in learning them. And here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes when we have a kid, I remember September 29th, 1999, I see this beautiful little boy come out with his silky black comb over looking hair and he's ready for the world and I'm ready for him. And I had all these visions in my head about what I was going to teach him. See, in high school, I played soccer and and ran track and played basketball. So naturally he was going to play soccer. He was going to run track and he was going to play basketball. I like books, so he was going to be a reader. I like doing public speaking, so he was going to get up in front of people and he was going to speak and he was going to do all these things. And I was so ready to mold him into me. But guess what? That's not how God wired him. That's not who God wired him to be. And we're so busy at times trying to mold our kids into us that we interfere with Christ molding them into his image. And we need to be careful with that because you can create a replica of you But I don't know about you. I'd much rather have a replica of Christ than a replica of me. Right. And so we have to be careful. We need to invest in learning them. We need to invest in learning. How has God wired this child? And like I said, my wife and I have five children and each one of them is different. I have one who is really into sports. I have another one who's artistic and loves music and likes to paint and likes to draw. I have another one who's into photography and video and everything technology related. I have another one who wants to be an entrepreneur and and she's making her own soap and doing all different types of stuff. And I have another one who likes to work with his hands and he dreamt of being a mechanic and all these other things. Each one of them is totally different. And if I spent all the years that I had with them trying to mold them into little mini versions of me, they may each miss who God has called them to be. And so when I say learn or invest in learning your children, what I'm really telling you to do, fathers, is spend time getting to know who they are. Spend time getting to know how God has wired them. If you have that kid who loves photography like I do and you know nothing about cameras, 
Watch some YouTube videos, pick up an article and read it. Try to figure out how you can get involved in their life instead of always trying to suck them into yours. Because sometimes we want to force them to enjoy life the way that we do. If your kid's not a fisherman and you're constantly dragging him out on the boat and you're fussing at him for being miserable, you might need to flip the script a little bit and invest in learning who he is, invest in knowing who God has wired him to be, and then utilize that to teach him or to bring him up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Because let me tell you what that will do. That will create opportunities for you to really teach them. That will create opportunities for you to spend time with them in a way that they can understand in a way that they're comfortable, and it'll make them so much more open to you and to hear what you have to say so that as when you're in coach mode and teacher mode, they're open books, they're sponges, they're ready to listen, they're taking note. Whereas if you're constantly trying to force them and mold them into you, chances are they're not going to want to listen to you very much. So you can invest in learning your child. And I talked about one way to do that. Like with my son, who's a photographer, I know nothing about cameras. But I've spent some time letting him teach me how to shoot pictures. We went out on a nature walk one time, just on a hike, and we had cameras. And he's, he's walking me through, okay, Dad, this is what ISO does, and this is what the iris and the camera does. And all these terms are going over my head, and I'm like, okay, I have no clue, but your pictures look good, so you must know what you're talking about. But it was an opportunity for him to teach me some things so that I could learn from my son, but it created an opportunity for us to grow as father and son. And I have a really good relationship with almost all of my kids, not all of them. You know, sometimes there's always that one. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I don't want to go too far, but sometimes you can run into rough patches with your children. But there's always been an open door of communication between me and my kids. And I think a lot of it comes out of not that I've done this perfectly, but that I've tried to invest in learning them. My daughter and I bake together. We cook together. That's what she really enjoys. And she likes art stuff. And so when she makes paintings, I buy them from her, you know, because that's what she's really into. And it creates opportunities for us to talk and spend time together. So invest in learning your kids. You can start with, again, practice what you preach. If you want to bring them up into discipline and instruction of the Lord, practice what you preach, but then invest in learning them. And the third thing that you can do is this, and this is probably the most important one for us as fathers. And I want you to hear this clearly, and I'm going to take some time to explain it. But you can remove obstacles. You can remove obstacles in their life. I want you to think about that shepherd who's out in the front leading. And when that shepherd is out in the front leading, if he sees a wolf, what does he do? He doesn't say, you know what, there's a wolf and, you know, I'm faster than the sheep, so I'm just going to run off and lead him. No, he fights the wolf. He clears that obstacle. He kills the wolf so that the sheep can pass by safely. If the sheep falls or if there's a hole that the sheep may fall into, the shepherd will cover that hole so that they won't fall. He removes that obstacle from their life. And your kids are going to have obstacles in their life. And I want to encourage you as a father to do what you can to remove those obstacles. And I'm going to give you three areas in which this can happen. One is physically. You can remove physical obstacles for your kids. And here's how you do that. I've come up with this mantra lately, and this is something I was not good at as a young parent. But as I've grown as a parent and gotten older, I've realized that I want to be a launching pad for my kids. I want them to pick up where I am and take off from there. I don't want them to have to go back and blaze their own trail, find their own path. I want to be a launching pad for them. And so for me, what that means is I have to do some things financially to make sure that I can make that happen. I have to do some things physically to make sure that I'm alive long enough to see those things happen and that I can be there to help them when they need me. But I want to be a launching pad. And oftentimes I think as men, 
We can't wait until our kids turn 18 so we can tell them, all right, it's time to move out and go do your own thing. But I don't think that's what God wants us to do. I think God wants us to be men who bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, but make sure that when they launch out, that they're launching out from the right point. Because all too often, and I was guilty of this as a younger parent, all too often we can't wait to push them out at a certain age. But just because that child is 18 doesn't mean they're ready. Some kids may be ready at 16. Some kids, it might be 26. And you need to invest in learning your child so that you know this, so that you're not pushing them out before they're ready. Because let me tell you, parenting an adult child is not an easy thing. It's hard. It's one thing to watch your child stumble and struggle while they're in your home and you can still help them. It's something totally different to watch them stumble and falter. And you're watching all of it now on social media because they're no longer in your home and the relationship is damaged and you can't talk to them. It's a totally different scenario. It's a very hard one. And if you want to avoid that scenario, if you want to do your best to make sure that that doesn't fall on you, be a launching pad for your kids. Make sure that they launch when the countdown is really ready and make sure that you position yourself to be able to better position them so that when they do launch, they're launching from where you are and not having to start completely over by themselves. The second way you can remove obstacles for your kids is emotionally. You know, a lot of times we live in a day and age where it seems like kids younger and younger and younger are battling things like depression and anxiety. And I remember being a young kid, eight, nine, 10 years old and never having those words cross my mind. But now they're watching videos about it in school. Their friends are, are committing suicide and trying to commit suicide and stuff like that. And it's so much harder to be a kid today than it was when I was a kid in the 80s or the 90s or Pastor Brian in the early 2000s. I'm just kidding. Maybe it was the 90s for him, too. I don't know. How old are you, Pastor Brian? 35-ish? Anyway. Um, but yeah, it was so much harder to be a kid when I was younger or so much easier to be a kid when I was younger than what these kids face today. And we can protect them emotionally, not by shielding them from everything, but by instilling confidence into them, by making sure our homes are stable so that they have a sure foundation that they can stand on. And we create stability in our marriages and in our walks with God. If you love your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, and you demonstrate that in your home, your kids will have a sense of stability that they won't find anywhere else. And if your walk with God is faithful, if they can see you trusting in God when you face hard times, if they can see you relying on God uh, when you need finances or trusting in God and praying whenever you need something, that's going to give them the confidence to do the same thing. But it also comes from how you speak to them. Make sure that when you're speaking to your kids, that you're speaking life to them, that you're encouraging them, that you're building them up, that you're telling your daughters that they are beautiful and that they matter to you and that God has a plan for them, that you're telling your sons that you are proud of them and that you're encouraged with the men that they're becoming and that God has a plan and a purpose for them. You can instill so much confidence in them and they won't go seeking for those things in the world and get caught up in everything that the world has to offer because they'll have that firm foundation, that sure footing right there in your home. And you'll be the one providing it. And that's a way that you can remove obstacles for them. The third way that we can remove obstacles for our children is spiritually. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, the old folks used to always talk about these things. They called them generational curses. They called them these generational curses. And what they would talk about is how every family had that Uncle Pete. You know, the Uncle Pete that was a little too touchy feely with everyone else in the family or that every family had that Uncle Bill, the one that drank a little too much uh, at every cookout. And they would talk about how these generational curses would just pass from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. 
You know, in my family, one of the things that I would look at in that way is everyone in my family pretty much had kids out of wedlock. And I had an opportunity as a father, and I blew that opportunity, but I had an opportunity to stop that pattern in my family. And so now I'm trying to teach my kids, this is how you stop this pattern. This is how you stop this pattern. And so spiritually, we have a responsibility to try to break these generational things that seem to have a hold on us. And in your family, that thing may be alcohol. Maybe you have all of your brothers or all of your uncles and everybody always drank a little too much. And now you have an opportunity to break that pattern in your life and therefore stop it in your kid's life. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pornography. Whatever it may be, you have an opportunity to remove a spiritual obstacle from your kid by fighting that thing and defeating it in your own life to make sure that it's not passed down to them. Because let me tell you something, what you struggle with, they're going to struggle with too. And chances are they're going to struggle with it a whole lot more than you do because they've watched you struggle for years to the point that it's become second nature to them. And you know that old adage that says that what one generation tolerates, the next one accepts. It's the same with sin. What you tolerate in your home, your kids are going to accept and they're going to do it to excess. So I'm not telling you that you have to go home and throw out all the beer and all the wine and that you have to make sure you only watch rated G movies. I'm not telling you any of that. Please don't hear that from me right now. But what I am saying to you is that, is that if there is something that you struggle with, if there is a vice in your life and you know it is a vice and you know it's something that has a stronghold on you, make sure that you're allowing God to work on that in you and you're doing everything that you can to defeat that in your life, to break that stronghold in your life so that your children don't fall into that same trap. They can watch you defeat these things. And so if they ever do face them, they know someone that has the strength to overcome it through Christ and they can come to you to get the help that they need. Don't allow these things to just keep passing from generation to generation. I see it all too often. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in some of your families. Men, we have an opportunity to stand up and be men of God and put an end to these things that come up against us. Amen. Amen. Let's work on that. So here's the deal. You may be listening to me right now. You're thinking, Jay, it's too late for me. My kids are grown. They're already out of the house. I screwed up so many things. There's no way I can go back and fix any of that. And as long as you have breath in your body, and as long as your child has breath in theirs, that's not true. You can always go back and work on this stuff. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had to have a very tough conversation with my oldest daughter. I had a realization that when I was young as a parent, I was kind of an idiot. Like I was kind of stupid. And I said some things and did some things that probably weren't the best thing to do. Now, I, I never did anything maliciously. Nothing was ever done with an intent to hurt or an intent to harm. But now that I'm older and wiser and just kind of look back, I realize like, wow, you could really have handled that situation so much better. And one of the best things that you can do as a father, not just to, to mend your relationship with your child, but also to demonstrate to them the love of God, the love of God, almighty God, holy, just, perfect God, who, when we screwed up, was the one to send his son to die for us, to pay the price for us. One of the best ways you can demonstrate that kind of love to your children is just by saying, I'm sorry, I messed up by putting aside your pride to demonstrate that you love them. Because God could have very easily said to us, you know what? Y'all messed up. You have to wallow in that. You screwed up. I'm not fixing it. You're all going to burn in hell. It's not what he did. He put aside his right to be right in a sense, sent his son to be that perfect sacrifice to die for our sin, to pay the price for that penalty. And sometimes for us, the price that we need to pay 
is to put our pride on the shelf. Don't let pride get in your way. If you need to pick up the phone and call your kid and just say, hey, I'm sorry, I may have done this wrong. It wasn't malicious. I never was trying to hurt you. I always did what I thought was in your best interest, but I realize now that I did it wrongly. It's okay to have that conversation. I would encourage you to have that conversation because I think you'd be amazed by the impact that it has in your child's life. It's not too late. It is never too late. As long as you've got breath in your body and they have breath in theirs, it's never too late. Maybe you're that person and you have a kid who is a prodigal child who has not returned yet. Let me encourage you. Keep praying for them. Keep praying. And remember, remember the father in the story of the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son said, give me my inheritance. And Caleb Berryman, he preached on this a few weeks ago and did a phenomenal job. But the prodigal son said, give me my inheritance. He went off. He squandered it. He blew all of it. And when he found himself eating with the pigs and wallowing in the mire, he said, you know what? I can go back and be a hired hand in my father's house. I bet they're eating and they're doing well now. I can go back and at least do that. And so he went back to his father. Right. But scripture says that when the father saw him coming, even though he was a little ways off, when the father saw him coming, the father ran to meet him. The father ran. He hugged him. He embraced him and he welcomed him home. And I think sometimes we get so hurt by our prodigal children that we don't want to do that, that even when they do make attempts to come back home, we're like, you know what? Too bad. You screwed up. I'm done with you. I've washed my hands of this. It's over and it's done with. I'm not going to give you the space to hurt me like that again. And I think that's the wrong thing for us to do because God entrusted that child to us, not just for the first 18 years, but you're the parent for life. And I'm talking to you from experience in this one. My wife and I have a child who's a prodigal that hasn't returned yet, in a sense. And I'm telling myself right now that I need to be ready that when he does call, if he does knock on that front door, I need to be ready to put my pride aside to say, welcome home, son. I'm having this conversation with myself. And I want to encourage those of you who are in a situation where you have a child who is a prodigal and they haven't come back yet. The best things that we can do for them is we can pray for them. We can ask God to send laborers into that harvest, to send laborers across their path, people who are going to minister to them and show them the love of Christ. We can ask God through his Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin and show them their need for a savior, to draw them back to him, to the foot of the cross, because that's where real change comes from. It's not through our words or or how much we instruct them, really. And that in this case, it's only through Jesus that change happens there. But we can also be ready to love them when they do come back home. So if you have that prodigal child, just think about that as you pray for them. Father, create opportunities for me to love them, to demonstrate that I still love them, Lord. And when they do come back, help me to have my heart prepared. Help me to not stand on my pride and my and to put down the right to be right, not to get into all the I told you so's and and all of that kind of stuff. But just like the, the father who welcomed back the prodigal son, help us to stand there and say, welcome home. I love you. Let's celebrate because now you're home. And if you're a person who maybe your kids are still little, you know, maybe they're crawling around or running around still in diapers. Maybe they're toddlers, you know, maybe even they're five, six, seven years old. But you've got these little kids and you're listening to the stuff that I just said. And you're like, wow, I hope I never face that. I hope you never face it either. But if that's you, you can do the things that we talked about today to train up this child, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You can have conversations with them and make sure that you practice what you preach. You can invest in learning them. They may not be like you. Maybe you're an outdoorsman and you want to ride bikes and all that stuff. And maybe they want to play video games and get into computers. And you might need to take some time to learn some of that so that you have a common 
ground, but you can invest in learning them. And then you can remove obstacles from their life. You can make sure that you live your life in such a way that you can be a launching pad for them and that they don't have to start over from square one. You can make sure that you are investing in them emotionally, building confidence in them and teaching them to know and to love the Lord. And you can invest in them spiritually by removing those obstacles, those generational things that tend to get passed down. We can fight those on our knees in prayer. We can fight them by standing firm against the attacks of the enemy and standing firm against temptation to make sure that our children are protected from the things that have been trying to hinder us in life. We can do all of that and we can love our children and we can be the fathers that God has called and created us to be. So if you want to know how, how do I bring my children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Again, it's practice what you preach, invest in learning them and remove obstacles. If we can do those things, if we can practice those things as fathers, I believe that we can make an impact in the lives of our children and that God will bring the increase from what we're sowing. Amen. Church, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for Seven Cities Church. I'm thankful for the men of Seven Cities Church, the fathers that you've placed here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be fathers that are an example, not just in our homes, but to the community around us. A community that seems to be broken by a lack of good fathers. There's so much stuff that I see in the world around me that I just think, Lord, that that if that young man or that young woman had a strong father in their life, maybe that wouldn't have happened. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be those fathers, that you would help us to be a father to the fatherless, but you would also help us to be fathers to the children that you've already entrusted to us, fathers who practice what we preach, fathers who invest in learning the children that you've given us, and fathers who remove obstacles, who fight spiritual battles, who fight physical battles and financial battles, who fight emotional battles so that our children don't have to face them, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen for us, strengthen us for that task, Father, that we can be the men the husbands, the fathers that you've called and created us to be. I pray for the people who are listening to this message who maybe either just lost their father or don't have a father in their life. And I pray for them specifically on Father's Day, Lord, as they're hurting, as they're suffering, as they're asking those why questions and what if questions, Father. I pray that you would remind them that you are their heavenly father and you are so much more than even the best earthly father ever could be. I pray that you would comfort them, Father, that you would fill voids in their life, that you would mend brokenness in their life, Father, and that you would show them that you have a plan and a purpose and that they're not less than, that they are. They mean so much more to you, uh, Lord, because you are that father to the fatherless. But again, Lord, I pray for the men who hear my voice specifically. I pray that you would challenge us, equip us, strengthen us to be the husbands, the fathers, and the men of God that you've called and created us to be. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now, Father.